Thank you for being here today. We are in week five of talking about family. I hope it's inspiring as we jump into it today. I pray that you walk out of the door challenged. I have been attempting to do something. I hope I've done a good job with it. Robin and I are going to be talking about all the nuances of family, communication, finances, intimacy, and all of that. But before that, I told her I wanted to baseline just what I think everything is dealing with family. So we baseline what it means to be a family. It was the legacy of souls. Then we tackled the men, and then we tackled the ladies. And now today, we get to jump in and tackle uh, what I think is a great topic. I think you'll be blessed today. Here's our scripture. We've been with it since January 1. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus called out to them and said, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. And what we have said about being people and being part of it is that the most important people you'll ever fish for is the legacy of your family. There's no higher legacy than your family and to pour into them. But what we get to talk about today, come on, somebody, kids. Mm. If you don't don't believe in speaking in tongues, have a kid. You'll learn real quick. (laughs) I will say this, though. Uh, I believe raising a child is the greatest challenge you'll ever have. It's a higher challenge than starting a business than being an entrepreneur. It's the greatest challenge. It's a greater challenge in getting educated, getting your Ph.D. or your E.D.D., it's the biggest challenge you'll ever have, and that challenge is to take a human being and then raise that human being to be productive. I'll tell you one thing I know about kids, it will expose every bit of weakness in an adult's life. It'll challenge everything you've ever believed to, why did I have this thing? What did we do? If you really don't like them, they're just like their mother. They can make you stay up late and cry. They can bring you the greatest joy. You'll be in the ER with them at two in the morning, maybe the jail at five in the morning. You'll watch them succeed. You'll watch them do great things. But the whole time, I will say this, there's no way to explain it until you are one. There's no greater joy than being a parent. And in that comes all the trials of being a parent. And by a parent, I don't mean you just had a child. Maybe it comes through adoption, maybe through the foster care system. But everybody in here, the one thing we have when we talk about kids is you've all been one. So you possess something that's really incredible. You may sit here today and go, I don't have any children. Well, guess what? You've been one. And you were shaped by how you were raised. You're a product of what your parents believed. Whether you liked it or not, whether you agreed with it or not, you were a product of the environment you grew up in. Whether you saw parents fight and argue, how dad treated mom, how mom treated dad. And as you grow through that, you become the adult you are today. And hopefully we parents do a good job. I remember 1990, when Robert and I got married, we were living in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I met a gentleman I did not know prior, but at that time he was pretty well known in the circles of Christianity because he was on national radio, national television. He had written multiple books. One of the seminars that he did was called Miracle Parenting. And when I met him, he made a statement 
that it would be amazing how one statement can so shift your life, but it did. It shifted my life because Robert and I were in love, but without kids. So we were still blissfully happy. And he said this. He said, the job of every parent, and when he said that, I didn't have children, so my ears kicked up. The job of every parent is to deposit your children at the feet of Jesus, but to live in such a way that after you deposit them at the feet of Jesus, they will choose Jesus. And it just rocked my world because I realized in that statement was not just take my kids to church, read the Bible to them. In that statement was how I lived my life could determine whether or not my children would choose God. And the reality of this is I would love to say every kid raised in a Christian home will choose God and that's not true. In the 30 years I've shepherded and pastored people, um, churches are filled with parents who have tears in their eyes because their kids don't serve the Lord. Yet they were raised in church, they went to camps, they went to Sunday school, and they would be like, Pastor, would you just pray for? And then they would say the name, they don't serve the Lord. And then phrases, they're running from God, or they're in rebellion. So just growing up in a Christian home did not seemingly change the statistics of whether or not a child would or would not choose Jesus when deposited at his feet. And then what we live in today in such a woke culture, there's so many choices for every kid to choose that the likelihood they will choose Jesus will be distinctly rare, if not a very dim statistic, that a teenager today will choose Jesus Christ when they become an adult. Even if they were raised in a Christian home, the odds may be better, but the fact that they would choose and not deconstruct and go another way and say, nah, that Christian stuff is not for me. We find ourselves in a bleak problem. Now the question becomes in raising kids, when we start to raise them, I was watching a debate not long ago on abortion, and so you had the two camps, pro-anti-abortion. The pro-abortion people picked up an argument, and this was their argument. Why would I want to bring a child into this world? It's such a broken world. There's wars. There's famines. We all know there's too many humans on planet Earth. Global warming. There'll be food shortages and water shortages and the pandemic and the diseases. Why would I want to bring anybody into this willingly? So the argument was abortion spares a child the trauma and pain of being in Mother Earth with all of our issues. The other side of the coin went totally different. You know, every kid, and then they took their argument, every kid deserves a chance, regardless of statistics. But that intrigued me that I, I think that's valid when you look around and go, how bleak to bring a kid into this world that is so broken. And yet I would never espouse divorce, I mean divorce, uh, abortion, it's evil. 
It's murder. But I do understand the argument when you look around at this liberal humanistic world that is so broken with wars everywhere and the sex trade and pedophilia and wokeisms and all of the things that are out there. And then you have this little bundle of joy in your arms and you think, it seems now that my child choosing Jesus is going to be a very rare occurrence. And the likelihood that they get caught up in the things of the world is very high. The likelihood that my child is going to serve the Lord when they go to school for eight hours a day. The average today is about seven hours on social media. So seven hours on social media, eight hours in the local school system, plus sports, plus all the things they do, plus homework, plus chores. The likelihood is that most parents really don't sit down enough time to really pour into a child. We're so busy. Mom's working, dad's working, everything is busy. So I want to do something today to to inspire you of what I believe about children. And I don't see it as a bleak thing. I see it as very hopeful. I see that we have a great challenge in front of us that I pray will open your eyes today to what's going on. Let's go. I'm going to give you three truths. And then I want to stir you to think about something very challenging. The three truths will just be things that I've lived. I say this often. I I don't wonder if I was a great parent or not, but I know I took that gentleman's thinking that my goal was to live in such a way that when my children became adults, they would choose Jesus. I, I can't say that I was perfect in that. But I often would tell my girls as they got older, I would say, look, I believe this about Jesus. I said, but I do know there's other alternatives out there for you. There's, there's Hinduism, there's Buddhism, there's Islam, there's all the isms, and I studied religion. So there's just religions everywhere. There's humanism, there's all the things. I realize if you choose any of that, I'm going to love you anyway. I can't force you to be a Christian. I can't force you to love Jesus. So whatever you pick as an adult, I will always love you. But as a parent, I'm going to live the truth that I believe is true. And that is that Jesus Christ is the God and the only God. And I'm going to live that way. Now, the challenge has been, I know that at any given moment, my girls can basically say, I don't believe this, Dad. How you believe is not what I believe. And then I guess we could nuance that out in a conversation, but that's the possibility. But I go back to what this gentleman told me before my kids were ever born. That my goal was to take my kids to the feet of Jesus and then back away and go, you get to choose now. And my heart is that when they pick, they will pick Jesus. And the likelihood now that that was successful is pretty high because my three adult daughters have chosen Jesus. They're all in church. They all love God. They all hunger after the Lord. They all give. They all serve. And my 17-year-old, who's not quite an adult yet, loves God, represents Jesus Christ, lives for the kingdom of God. And I stand back and go, I guess what that guy said was true. Because it's not a magic formula, it's an intentionality. And I want to teach you that intention. So God created human beings, Genesis 1.27. In the image of God, he created a male and female and God blessed them. Come on. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Now here's what's strange, the power of a kid. 
God who made the universe in six days could have easily just said, I want everybody to know me. And could have just created millions and billions of humans and then went up in the sky and go, boo, here I am. And everybody go, oh, we know God. We just saw him. But his plan was, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm only going to make two of you. And out of the two, you're going to fill the earth. Now, this is a challenge because the two he picks are going to rebel, but God is still going to be known through these two who fill the earth. So God started the plan that his plan has always been kids would carry to every generation his knowledge. If a kid doesn't carry it to the next generation, then the next generation will not know the ways of God. So the challenge is that every generation must capture enough kids so that the kids can fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. I would love to say, let's don't put that pressure on children and parents. Let's let God just show up in the sky and go, I'm God and do a little Braveheart move. And all the humans go, oh, he's there. And God said, I'm not doing it that way. I'm going to do it through humans. I want to be known through humanity. So he picks these people. So here's my first truth is that every child is a blessing. There's no kid that's cursed. There was a young girl in my church back home in Sylvania whose mother had her. And the day she had her dumped her in a dumpster and left her to die. So her first day on planet Earth, her mother put her in a dumpster to be taken to the garbage dump and dumped out. She didn't want the kid, but the garbage people heard the baby crying, took the baby, took the baby to the hospital. And by the time I met her, she was an adult, a teenager headed into adulthood. She was raised by a Christian mother. She loved the Lord. She was serving God, fulfilling her purposes, but she started in a dumpster. But what that tells me is no matter how you started this life, every kid is a blessing. No kid is a curse. No kid. Oh, they will aggravate you, irritate you. Sometimes you'll just want to send them off to stay with grandparents for months on end. You'll be glad when they're out of the house and then after they're gone an hour, you'll cry and want them back. I live with all women and this week they're all gone. They're off doing their thing and, uh, you know, in Disney World serving God. And uh, somebody said... I said, how are you doing with the house empty? And I said, oh man, it's quiet. Now that's wonderful for a man for about a half a day. And then it's like, man, I'm tired of these dogs. I need some noise. I need some arguing. I need something. I need a girl that's a little irritated, just something, you know? But at the end of the day, even though I said that sometimes child rearing will be the most trying thing you will ever do, never lose sight that every kid is a blessing. Every child is a blessing. So what I did, knowing that if I deposit them at the feet of Jesus, will they choose Jesus? How I, how I think about them is going to be critical. So on the day that Olivia Diana Evans was born, June the 1st, 1993, this bundle of joy pops out and I'm thinking I'm going to be a terrible father. Like I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't, oh gosh, the pressure, the, uh, I got to have a job. I'm, I was in school full time. I was the, the, just the pressure of life. Robin had just come out of school. I'm still in school. And we took that little hour long baby and we laid her in the bassinet. 
We put her in the bassinet and I went and opened a little Bible about this big and I opened that Bible and I laid it at the foot or at the head of my daughter and I stood back and I looked at this little bundle of joy that Robin and I created. She doesn't know her name yet. She doesn't know what Olivia means. She doesn't know she's named after her grandmother. She would not even know me if I left her that day. It was just a human being that's under my care. But I thought, you know what? I want to start out blessing my child. And so I put that little Bible over her head and I stood over this brand new hour long baby and I said, I bless you to be everything that this Bible says you will be. You will be everything that this Bible tells you to be. And I picked it up and I opened up the psalm with her sitting there, probably not knowing a thing I'm saying. I stood over her as a father and I began to read the psalms over her life. You will be everything God ever told you to be. That's before she ever irritated me, got on my nerves, had a boyfriend. Uh, if you've never raised a daughter, oh, this was before she came in in the sixth grade and fell down on the floor. And I'm like, what is she doing? And she starts spinning around on the floor crying. I didn't want to have a boyfriend. I just want to have a boyfriend. And she's just spinning on the floor. And I'm looking at her going, we created this? Like, she's losing her mind in the sixth grade over a boy? So they can be a challenge. But... I begin to still stay the course that I'm never going to let my child know that they're a curse or they irritate me. I'm never going to send them to their room screaming at them because I'm so frustrated at them. So what did I do? I made a decision to bless them every day. And if you've gone here long enough, you know that my testimony is that I, I didn't write a blessing to be spiritual. I wrote a blessing because I was probably frustrated. But I decided rather than parenting my frustrations, I would rather parent the blessing. And so I started out with, I bless you with long life. I bless you with perfect health. You say, why? Because I was so tormented that my kids would die young. They might get a disease. Back in that time, it was SIDS. Uh, you could crib death. And, and we're so smart as humans. One year, you're to sleep them on the right side. The next year, no on their belly. The next year, no on their back. I'm like, my God, make up your mind. I just had a rotisserie. Like, here, just, what are you doing? I'm just letting her sleep, baby. Why? Because nobody knows how they should sleep. I just sit here all night spinning my kid like a rotisserie chicken <laughs> oh I was tormented just tormented you know so my first blessing was I bless you with long life perfect health then I started thinking when people started telling me well you're going to raise girls God only knows that's going to be terrible when they get teenagers I bless you with long life perfect health you will serve Jesus all the days of your life You'll love your mama, daddy, and your sisters forever. And then one day they told me, you just you take me down here. And they did the whole, you know, I can't wait till I move out. And I'm like, me either. You're only seven, but you hang in there. You can go one day, you know. But rather than sitting there having a, a verbal war with them, saying things that would crush them, saying things that would hurt them, I just would write another blessing. So at every crisis of life, I would add a blessing so that one of my blessings was, as I ran through them, there's 36 of them now, I would say this, uh, one of them was, I bless you to think your daddy's wonderful. <laughs> I was thinking. 
I bless you to think your mama's wonderful. So now in the middle of their blessing about midway through is, you've been blessed to think I'm wonderful. Well, I just, you irritate me. I can't believe. I don't care. I've already blessed you to think I'm wonderful. You're going to be your blessing. Now, I'll show you how powerful that is. I can't get rid of any of them now. I'm like, my God, move somewhere. Go somewhere. My 24-year-old said the other day, she said, it's just our family's so wonderful. We just all get along so well. I just want to stay here and live here. I'm like, oh, God, I should have never. Now, the number 37 blessing, I bless you to leave. (laughs) But I would tell my kids at every crisis, I would teach them as a parent. Why? Because I want them to get to Jesus and choose him. So I'm not going to let the world define them. If anybody defines them, it's going to be the blessing of their father. No, no boy's going to define my daughters. No system is going to define them. No culture will define them. If they're defined by anything, they will be defined by the blessing of their father. Long before they even knew what a blessing meant in a crib, they were being blessed. And then in their adolescent years, the blessing. And then in their dating years, the blessing. In their frustrated years, the blessing. In their years where they're trying to figure out, do I believe in God? Do I not? The blessing. When they're arguing with their friends, when they're going through issues with sports, the blessing. And I would tell them over and over, You will never be your problem. You will always be the blessing. So parents, I don't know where you are right now. Maybe your children are already grown and you're a grandparent. Great. Just find out where they live. Pull up Google Maps and go, too late. I'm going to start blessing you. I bless you from the top of your head. And you just begin to speak a blessing. You can start right now. You can bless your grandchildren. Bless your great-grandchildren. You can just begin, but you have to start that children are not frustrating, they're a blessing. And every time you're frustrated, write out a blessing and begin to speak it. Now it's 30 years later, and I'll say this, I don't mean it as magic. Everything I've blessed my children with, they're living it now. One of my blessings was, when it comes time to choose, you will choose the kingdom of God. They were hearing that when they were nine years old and 11 years old. When it comes time to choose, you'll choose the kingdom of God. Now they're all adults and guess what? They've all chosen the kingdom of God. It's the power of the blessing, mom and dad. Second truth. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, this is after mom and dad failed. Adam and Eve had a failure of sin. Because you've done this, you're cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You'll crawl on your belly, he says to the servant, groveling as long as you live. And then God said to Satan, the serpent, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between her children and your children, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The very first time God really mentions children in the Bible... The very first time he specifically puts his finger on a child, beyond just the word be fruitful and multiply, this is what it is. Every kid has a kingdom purpose. Every kid. Every child carries with them kingdom purpose. They are the the catalyst of the next generation knowing him. And if you don't know how powerful a kid is, every social media outlet, every cartoon, every woke ideology is coming after your children. They want them to think a certain way, reason a certain way. Why? Because even the world knows that kids carry a kingdom purpose. 
I have to move an agenda. I will do it and I will capture them and I will use them for my own glory, whether that's Lucifer's camp or God's camp. Every camp knows the power of a child. If you want an entire generation to believe something, just grab the mind of a child and just indoctrinate them for about 15 years and you'll have an entire generation of adults that think that way. How do you want every kid to have a sexual identity, gender identity problem? You just about five years ago start talking about it, then over and over and over, and then you put it in commercials, and then you put it into cartoons, and then you put it into music, and then you put it into schools, and then you put it in the curriculum, and about 15 years later, you have an entire generation that doesn't even know if they're a boy or a girl. Whereas 15 years ago, you knew the day they were born. Just, oh, that's a boy. But I did that by simply knowing that children carry kingdom purpose for the light or the dark. And if we don't capture them for the light, they will be captured for the dark. Now, this is where it gets sticky because a lot of Christian parents freak out when they think about the world. And we want to pull our kids out of everything. And I'm not opposed to that. We homeschooled a little bit and we public school a little bit. But no matter which way you choose to go in education, you have to begin to teach your children they serve a kingdom purpose. So that my daughter Stella's young years went like this. She woke up at 7. She had a quick breakfast. She got to school by 8. She got out of school at 3.15. She drove to the gym eating a snack. She stayed at the gym from 4 until 8.30. She got home about 9. She ate dinner. She did homework. And she repeated that for about 6 years. 30 hours a week in gym. Plus school. Plus homework. Plus sisters. So I'm not asking you to pull your kids out of things. I'm just letting you know that when they're in it, you need to be making sure they know there's a kingdom purpose on your life, not just whether or not you get a 10 and you keep your toes pointed or not. That's a great thing. But you have an opportunity on this team to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not asking you to sit there and preach to all of them. I'm not asking you to hold up a sign that says repent, turn or burn. I'm simply asking you, honey, in the 30 hours that you're there and you hear conversations and you say things you represent the Lord Jesus Christ put a smile on your face don't talk the way the world talks don't get sucked into their jokes don't get sucked into the perversion be bold be strong with who you are why would I say that because we bless you to be the head and not the tail to be above and not beneath to be a leader and not a follower and that you will be the light of the world and the salt of the earth and no weapon formed against you will ever prosper You start telling that to all your girls. And it doesn't matter if they're on the cheerleading team, the tennis team, the gymnastics team. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter where they are. They walk in the door and everybody knows there's something different about them. And my daughters aren't wearing the t-shirts that go, what would Jesus do? My daughters are just walking down the hall, but they carry something different about them. And it's not that they're specially favored. It's that they carry a kingdom purpose. And by the time they get into high school, most of their friends know that they're carrying a kingdom purpose with them. And they're known to be daughters who love the Lord God. It was so funny. Stella, the other week, she texted and it was one in the morning. And she sent a text. She said, Mom, 
All my friends want to go riding around. She was spending a night with a friend. And Robin said, riding around at 1 a.m.? What do you want to do? She said, we just want to ride around neighborhoods and see where all the boys live that we think are cute. <laughs> hey, what kind of child have I raised? So Robin said, well, honey, you go. Keep your phone with you. Y'all just be careful. So the girls all got in the car and they're riding around and they're doing their thing. And the girls said to Stella, why did you tell your mother? Why would you tell your mother we're all going riding around? Oh, I tell my parents everything. Right? Because we've taught her, you don't have to fear a kingdom purpose. You don't have to fear getting in trouble. We're going to help you live your best life ever. You have to raise kids to be a kingdom purpose. You have to raise them so that they know that they have a calling that's different on their life. Because watch, parents, if we don't raise them to be a kingdom purpose, we'll lose a future generation that even knows God. Like the knowledge of Jesus. Here's what's strange. I'll pick on some of these young girls over here. These girls right here, precious they are, sit there all the time, listen to me, and I high five them. Eh, you're awesome. Venmo them occasionally. Hey, if you say amen, here's five dollars. You know. <laughs> but that right there is the future of this church. Yes. That right there, that second row. Is the future. Sitting right here is the future of this church. Sitting right there in the back is the future of this church. If they don't catch God in Jesus, the doors of this house will close one day. It doesn't matter how many good sermons I preach and people go, oh, Pastor Mark was so wonderful. There will come a day I will be old and pass the baton. But if there's nobody to pass the baton to, we close the doors. It doesn't matter how anointed we are right now. Right? We can be super anointed. We can be like, woo, the music is incredible. But you just let one generation pass, there will be no music. There will be nobody left on stage that's young. It'll just be all old people sitting around singing to other old people because we lost an entire generation. Wondering why we're not growing. Because we lost sight that every kid carries a purpose. And I know sometimes feeling like you drag them to church, it just feels futile. It's never futile. They serve a kingdom purpose. You have to teach them that. The third truth, and then I'll give you something to challenge you. Our children, this is Psalm 22, right prior to 23, the one that's known most. But this is, read it. It's an interesting chapter. Our children will also serve God. And future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. And they will hear about everything he's done. Do you know why you're here today? Because a child grew up into an adult and witnessed to another person and that person. And now we can hear about all that God has done. But the children are the ones that have to serve him. If our children don't serve the Lord, we lose. I know that sounds harsh, but if our kids don't serve the Lord, we lose. And there is an all-out assault for your children today. If I do nothing else, let me wake you up. The world is going after your children today. Because they know if I want a future generation to not live righteous acts, but rebellious acts, perverted acts, all I need to do is capture the children. If I capture the children, future generations will tell of perverted acts and know nothing about God. Yeah. Yeah. 
just go over to Europe. Walk around Europe to all these gorgeous churches that used to be filled with people, but today they're pubs and nightclubs and you wouldn't even know God existed, but yet it's a beautiful edifice to God, but yet in it now is just a club and a nightclub and bars. And why? Because we got so excited about God in the moment that we forgot about the future generations. We got so excited about what God, or we couldn't find the church we loved or the pastor we liked, and so we lost an entire generation. Here's the third one. Every child is a representative of Jesus. Your child represents the Lord, the light of the world. This is a hard one to get into a kid. I wish that it is they just knew it, but because they live in a world that's so opposite of this, it takes a strong family to raise a kid who will represent Jesus because they're beat up every day for the other team. They're assaulted every day for the other team. And if they don't live boldly and incredibly bold, it just becomes overwhelming like Lot. The perversions of the day just weigh them down. The pornography weighs down young men. It's on every phone. It's everywhere. In my generation, you just had to know a friend who knew a friend who had a book or a JCPenney catalog. Not anymore. Every time they open their phone, it's just the world, the ideologies, the thinking, the mindset of the world just constantly through ads. Why? Because every kid is a representative of something. And as a church, we have to pour the generation over. Now, here's the thing that's difficult that goes back to the gentleman that said to me, you have to live in such a way that when it comes time to choose God, your kids choose God. I guess I could offer plans like, do y'all read the Bible together? Do you pray together? But every family has their nuances of how they do this. But no matter what we choose to do, if we don't live in such a way as a mother and father that our children choose him, then we have to rethink what we're doing. So I went through it and... I've at least landed on this. How do we do this? How do we raise kingdom purpose kids? Now in this is a story that I have pondered for years that, that I link not just to the destruction of the entire world, the story of Noah, but to a parent. Because this story intrigues me. And it intrigues me not because he saved the world, but, but by how Noah must have lived. After, this is Genesis 5, after Noah was 500 years old. Oh, he didn't win the lotto. He had three kids at 500. My God, three children. And think about his wife. I mean, her uterus is 500 years old. And she just pops out three kids. At 500... This is right before God shows up and says, build me a boat. So right before God says, here's what I want you to do. Noah has three kids. So here's what we'll know. Mom's going to be really busy. Probably ticked off a little bit that he's gone a lot. And wondering what in the Sam Hill my husband is doing. He's gone every day. He's never home. 
Because the plan was you will build a boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. That's how you're going to build it. And uh, P.S., you're going to build it out of this certain tree. So, Daddy Noah with three babies, they can't help him yet. He's all alone right now with a wife home nursing. Noah begins to leave, leave his house, walk out and find a gopher tree. I don't even know what that is. Looks like a gopher. Chops it down. Ties it up, I guess, on a mule. I don't know. Drags it back to his yard. Places the log down. Gets all the limbs off. Looks at the log. What are you going to do, Dad? I got to go get another log. And then he turns around. He goes back. He chops down that tree. He drags it back to the house. He gets all the limbs off of it. Stacks it up on top of that one. And the wife's like, when are you going to be home? I got to go get another log. Now, just so you know the power of the story, here's, here's a thought that's interesting. Noah was 600 years old when the flood covered the earth. So for 100 years, this daddy does the same thing over and over and over. What's dad doing today, mom? Going to get another tree. <laughs> what are you doing? When are you going to be home? I'm going to get another tree. Why? I got to build a boat. What's a boat? Oh, you wouldn't know if I told you. And for a hundred years, nobody really talks about this. One hundred years. He does the same thing over and over and over because he has a kingdom purpose to build a boat. But yet at the same time, it will go awry if he doesn't sell it to his children. Because if his kids don't get in the boat, nobody's here. If the wife doesn't get on the boat, nobody's here. But it says in verse 7 of Genesis 6, he went on board the boat to escape the flood. Here's the most profound thing. Don't think about the animals. They'll just do whatever God tells them to do. His wife gets on the boat. His sons get on the boat. But the fact that his daughter-in-law's got on the boat and didn't say, I ain't getting on there. Your daddy's a nut. I'm not leaving my mama. I mean, I didn't mind marrying you, but I didn't marry your daddy. I ain't getting on that boat. We're going to be on there how long? Over a year. I ain't getting on that stinky boat over a year. You go find you another wife. The boys got on the boat. I'm sure they thought, Dad, my dad's an idiot. I don't even know everybody in the, if you see the story of Noah, everybody's making fun of him. So it wasn't like his dad was famous for anything great. He was probably looked at as the blooming idiot of the town. And his wife didn't divorce him because he's never home. He's always gone. Never here. And I'll tell you one thing. All he talks about is that dad blame boat, that boat, that boat. I don't even know if he knows God. He says he heard God. I've never heard God. So we can deduce what went on in that hundred years. I will just simply say, put yourself there with your wife, your children, and tell me how it's going to go. And yet, here's the truth. He went on board and his wife got on, his children got on, and his daughter-in-laws got on. And when I read that, it told me this man 
must have known how to live his life because when the rubber met the road, his family chose God. His family chose God. They had to see something beyond just a hard worker because a lot of men work hard, but their kids don't believe. What did he live out that made them all believe? Because they got on the boat before it started raining. It'd be easy if it started raining. And he's like, I told you, get on here, hurry up. But the Bible says they were closed in by God before the rains ever started. So that means they trusted something about their father that they saw that caused them to respond before the rain ever came. And that always intrigued me because it made me think, what did he do? Because as a young father, I, would, I thought, that's what I want to live. I want to live in such a way that when the crisis comes, my kids choose my faith. I want to live in such a way that when all hell breaks loose, my children go, I'm going to God. So I wrote this down. And this hurts. But if it's real to a kid, it's got to be real to you. One thing I will tell you about children, they can spot a fake a mile away. And when they see how you act here, and then you go home and act different, they're already making it. That ain't what I want. Because one thing about a kid, they'll tell you the truth. If you're fat, they'll tell you, you look fat. Adults will lie. Oh, you look good in that outfit. Black is so becoming. The reason I wear black is I don't want to look fat on camera. Kids will tell you the truth. A kid will walk up and go, black doesn't help you. You still look fat. I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. But I do know this. If it's not real to you as a mother or a father, don't expect it to be real to the kids. You can send them to their room all day long. You can take their phones from them. You can ground them. You can cuss at them. You can scream at them, make them do their homework. And if they don't get an A, they're off the football team. You can do all of that stuff. But if God is not real to you, it's probably not going to be real to your kid. It has to be real. Not just take your hat off and let's pray over the spaghetti. It has to be real to you. So the one thing I do know, with all of my failures and quirks and isms as a dad and things I probably did I wish I wouldn't have, you know, you learn as you go. I do know this. My girls could have never sat down in front of me and said, Dad, God's not real to you. Because one thing I know, oh man, God's real. God is as real to me as you are, honey. God is as real to me as the very person I'm sitting here looking. Where, where is he, daddy? I've never seen him. But he's as real to me as your mother. And he knows everything about us. And he's in our lives and he's in our heart. And I don't always have all the answers, girls. I don't always know why life goes good or bad. But one thing I know, he's real to me. Now, when it's real to a parent... Even when the children don't seem like they're going to serve God, it's being downloaded into them that whatever your faith is, is a reality. I often joke about my dad, who as a young kid, my dad never took me to the room and said, now, let me tell you how to be a man of God. I just watched him. I watched him pray over the toilet. Who prays over the toilet? (laughs) 
I watched him anoint the German shepherd with oil. Who does this? Anoint a German shepherd with oil. You take him to the vet. Not if you're him. You lay hands on that dog and command that thing to be healed. And then the dog's wagging his tail healed. Lays hands on the dishwasher. I'll never forget, I was in the back seat of the car riding with him and he had a tax debt of $10,000 from a sale of a business. He was in a business. And I said, Dad, I said, are you worried about that? He said, not at all. I said, well, how much money do you have? We were passing the Piggly Wiggly. He said, well, I've got about $300. This is 1970s. I said, $300 and you need 10,000? He goes, I'm not worried. God's my provider. I've learned something. If it's real, it's got to be real in the suffering. Because kids don't need to know Jesus when life is good. They need to know what your faith is in the suffering. When things aren't going right. When mama's mad at you. When I got booted off the squad. When I got fired from my job, when the doctor report came back and it looked bleak, when the divorce papers were put in front of me, it's at those moments when all hell is breaking loose that the faith is, has to show itself as being real. Anybody can serve God when it's going good, but the man or woman who chooses to serve him when all the chips are down and the rain is over the head and the storms are brewing and it seems like I'm going under, but that father's stands up and says we're not going under greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world and no weapon formed against me will prosper and all those that rise up against me will fall I will be the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ I will never lack a thing he is Jehovah Jireh the God who provides for me he is Jehovah Nisi my banner he is Jehovah Sikhanu my righteousness I will never lack a thing he is the I am who is the I am now girls I can't explain this hell we're in but I I want you to know in the middle of a hell there is a joy that can be known and a peace that can be known and a hope that can be known now I didn't sit there and sit them down and ever preach to them I've never preached to my girls I've never sat down and I just lived all of that out one of my daughters said to me a few months ago she said dad how do you do it I said I don't even know what you're talking about live with y'all? I don't know. <laughs> she said, how do you do ministry? Like the people that are mad at you or get irritated at you or talk about you or think this of you or that of you. She said, I don't know how you do it. I said, honey, my life is not based on what people think of me. My life is based on I know who I am in God. And I know I'll make some people happy. I may make some people mad. I may make some people joyful and some people glad. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I know who I believe. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against this day. And now I'm 58. I'm not some bitter preacher. I'm not mad at people. I genuinely love people. I like to be with people. I like all the weirdness of people. But if it's not real in the suffering, I come home and I'm irritated. I'm posting online and I'm mad at everybody and I'm mad at my boss and I'm mad at the person who talked to me and I sit down around the, deal and around the dinner table. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. 
then it's never going to be real to my daughters because when Mark or when daddy or when mama's going through a hard time, it's in the hard times where the faith has to show itself pure. Any parent can sit down and whine about the world and the economy and the life, but it takes a mighty man of God that can sit down, a mighty woman of God, and in the middle of a suffering world, say, I still have hope in God. Peter will say this in closing, Peter chapter 1, verse 6, so be truly glad. There's a wonderful joy ahead of you, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. But watch what trials do. They show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through what? Yeah, many trials, life, things you didn't think would go your way, things that hit you wrong, things that came at you wrong. At the end of the day, dust yourself off, for you have a faith that can remain strong. And that faith will bring much praise and much glory to the next generation. When they look at you as a man and woman of God, and they see the scars and the battle scars, and they say, where did you get this? Where did you get that tattoo, Papa? Oh, this tattoo right here, honey. This tattoo right here was of your mother. And it's based on all things beautiful. It's based on Ecclesiastes 3.11. What does that say, Papa? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, if you'll give God time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. Well, what does it mean? Why the bird holding the clock? Because even when life looks broken, if you will give God time, you can always soar above every problem. So what does this mean, Pops? What does this tattoo mean? It means that there was a time where your grandmother went through cancer and it looked pretty bleak and we were hopped up on all kind of radiation, but we kept our faith in the Lord. We kept ourselves strong. We took communion every day. We reached out to God. We trusted his people. We had his elders lay hands on us and we came out on the other side smelling like God rather than the world. So sometimes in the middle of a fiery test, your faith is being proved genuine. What do you really believe here? Well, I can't pay my bills. Okay, what do you really believe about that? Do you believe that God is your provider? Because your faith must remain strong because what happens when it does, I love this, write it down. Oh, it's so good. 1 Peter 1.8, you love him even though you've never seen him. Your kids need to know this. Your kids need to know. I know my dad might have issues, but he loves God. Has he ever seen him? No, I've never seen him, but I sure do love him. And then it goes on. Though you do not see him now, you still trust him. Dad, have you ever seen Jesus? No, honey, I hadn't. Why do you trust him? Oh, I just do. I just trust him, honey. Yeah, but it seems like it didn't go our way. Oh, no, 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 honey. Just buckle up and hold on. It'll always go my way. For he's working all things together for my good. And right now it may not look like good. It may look like Monday right now. But if you'll just hold on by Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, maybe another year from now, maybe five years from now. But I will tell you one thing. At the end of my life, he will have worked out all things together for my good. And that's why I can live with an inexpressible joy in the middle of a hellhole because I know who God is. Parents, we have to live this way. In the middle of the suffering, you have to have the joy. In the middle of the trial, you have to keep trusting him. And do we know, do we see him? No, but we love him. Do we know what he looks like? No, but I trust him.
And if this is my take, if we do that, our kids will be deposited at the feet of Jesus and go, I don't know what else I would choose. I've seen his power in my family. I've seen his joy in the middle of the pain. I'm going to choose this. And then every generation propagates his goodness. Would you bow your heads if you will?